Ali Baker, she, her, an education lecturer and children's fantasy literature researcher at University of East London. You're listening to Fantasy Book Swap, where a guest and I swap children's fantasy fiction, one classic and one contemporary, and we discuss them. Today, I'm joined by Stephanie Shields, picture book author, poet, and Princess of Victoria Park. Hello, what have you been up to recently? Well, um, you know, in these times of, let's face it, none of us doing much, I'm very lucky and grateful to the NHS that I managed to get sinus surgery recently, which I've been waiting for a long time. So I've mainly been staying inside, um, staying in bed and taking drugs. So I'm like basically awesome. a 70s rock star. It's glorious. Um, and doing <laughs> lots of reading and that sort of thing. So, so yeah, this is, uh, you know, interesting times. It really is interesting times. Uh, you're, you're absolutely right. And I'm, I'm very glad that, that you managed to get that surgery because uh, I do know how long you've been waiting for it, obviously. So um, you chose The Dark is Rising to talk about. And very, uh, I can see your Christmas tree in the corner of the screen there. So this is a very, uh, very appropriate podcast for the time of year. So can you summarise the plot? Oh, summarise the plot. Okay, it, I mean, it's, it is one of the series of books. It's second in forgotten how many how dreadful um but basically is it five or six five six anyway it's about a boy will who um is part of a loving and very happy family usually for these books who around his 11th birthday discovers that he's not um an, an ordinary 11 year old boy after all but is um part of a group of people who exist in and out of time who uh, are those that are here for humanity for the light against the eternal battle that goes on between the light and the dark and it all takes place his birthday is around it's midwinter so the 21st and it all goes through until um until early January so it it is a Christmas book in terms of set at Christmas, not Christmassy book per se. But um, yeah, that's absolutely love it. Yeah, me too. I, I first I remember my teacher, Mrs. Stowell, reading this book to me, or well, not just to me, to my class, and I think that was in about 1978. So this book has stayed with me for a very long time. Um, when did you first read it or when were you first aware of it? I'm just checking when it was first published. It was first published in 1973. So it's doing very well. I got it in a Christmas stocking. So technically Father Christmas, actually, definitely my mother. Um, I think <laughs> I was about seven. I think I got it in a Christmas stocking along with The Masqueraders by Georgette Heyer, although I could have confused two different Christmas stockings there. It's possible. Wow. But I do know I got both those books in Christmas stockings at one point. Maybe Georgette Heyer was a bit later, but I definitely, I read a lot of books from quite early. But yes, I got it as Christmas stocking I, and I must have, I've never not known it as a book is how I feel. I actually gave away my copy during my teenage years in some bizarre exchange with a boy, as, as one does. But then it was you, 
some years back that sent me my copy again, which is exactly the same cover as I had uh, of the, that book from the first time around. Uh, and I didn't know for years, even though it is clear, I didn't know for years it was part of the series. And it wasn't until I met uh, Dave, non-Twitter best mate, and we became friends. He had the whole series and I would regularly borrow them from him. And it is, it is the best one. I think it's like, if, you, if you're going to read them of the whole The Dark is Rising series, start with this one, then go back to the first and then read the rest. This is the, the best one. I'm very fond of Greenwich, but it has, it's a very different, um, a very different atmosphere, I think. Probably or possibly because Jane is the point of view character rather than Will. Um, and it's a much quieter book, I think. Um, but I, I do still really love it for many of the reasons that I love um, The Darkest Rising, which we will come on to. But yes, I do agree. Oversee Under Stone, the first book, is a much more straightforward children's holiday adventure um, with, without, with kind of smugglers and spies and all sorts of things, without a great deal of, of the kind of supernatural stuff that goes on in in this book um the use of the the supernatural and and menace make it a very uncanny read what did what do you what did you it's interesting because it's one i i'm what i'm gonna say is also i think applicable to breadcrumbs but in a different way is 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 the weather in this becomes a character the snow particularly, but aspects uh, of the weather, it is like it is another character. And that is so much of how the supernatural to a degree is, is symbolized by how the weather is affected um, and, and, and how things change. And uh, Will being on this horse that suddenly travels him miles and miles of time across the, the chariots and things like this. But I think it's... Um, and then, of course, quite quite early on, I mean, you know, these may be spoilers, but come on, everyone, the book was published in 1973, you've had time. <laughs> <laughs> but early on, again, when um, things are starting to happen to Will, um, the snow pushing down on his skylight in his bedroom in the night, and he just feels this this sense of, of, of pressure, this feeling, this dread, and then the snow pushes so much that it breaks the, the skylight. And I mean, you would be, I'd be quite scared if that happened to me, quite frankly. And if I was 11 and just starting to discover I was not a normal child, I'd be very freaked out. So it is, it is, it, I think it, I'm kind of I'm fine with supernatural. That sounds very bizarre, but, you know, give me witchcraft and magic in books. And these are many, many of the books that I read, but the way that this is done is, it is people and it is nature. There isn't a goblin somewhere or, you know, some bad magician. <laughs> Sorry, that sounds like someone at children's parties who never quite gets the rabbit out of there. <laughs> 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 it, it, it is human. It is absolutely people who have made choices to go, I'm going to stand on the good side or I'm going to stand on the bad side. And I think I like that enormously is, yeah, you know, the um, 
the, the people element, but then the some people have people with just this little bit more and, yeah, can use it for good or an evil. But, I mean, the battle of the light and the dark, the good versus the bad, is is our eternal story. Is And the book does make reference to that with um, this sort of quest that goes on for things to defeat the dark in this this round uh going back through through centuries and you know and and ages back and back and it it's a very very human thing this is what we do i agree with you that the the weather being the kind of the location of the the dark power is very very interesting and i think that has a lot in common with breadcrumbs which is sort of what breadcrumbs made me think of the dark is rising most definitely but one of the thing I really like about it is the way that the uncanny thing starts it doesn't start with the skylight of covered in snow falling in and waking Will it starts with really normal things like he's walking past the radio in the kitchen and static affects the radio and then he goes out to feed the rabbits and the rabbits are staying away from him even his favorite rabbit isn't coming forward to have an ear scratch and those kind of very small things and the way they build up to that horrifying bit where the rooks attack the walker and that oh I'm I'm going more goose pimply just thinking about it but it's those those small increments isn't it rather than a huge catastrophe Yeah. And this, the, the very first note I made, I did notes, I've got Ooh. stickers in the book, I didn't get around to stickering breadcrumbs, but I've got a little notebook. The very first note I made, and it is about both of them, it is the familiar becoming the unfamiliar. Yes. And I think that's the thing. That is, that is when your life goes weird. That, that's when, you know, I haven't suddenly discovered that I've got superpowers or anything like that, but when something horrible happens in your life and you go, oh, that person isn't who I thought they were, or that's not the situation I thought this was. And in both these books, it is the, oh, that's not, that's not right. That's not how it is. And it is so, so disconcerting and so scary. And it does beautifully build slowly in, in, in the darkest rising of these things. And Will, Will knows because he knows, he can't explain it. Is they're going, the animals aren't coming to me. The radio's being weird, although I, think in the 70s the radio suddenly squawking with static reasonably normal <laughs> um, but it's just this isn't right this isn't right um you know and the the stable hand at the um at the farm has just given him this beautiful kind of sounding metal thing that's in his pocket and then again okay that was a bit weird it's yeah but that I, I think I'm sure it, obviously it must be a great trope in horror movies of which I do not watch because I get scared far too easily and have too much imagination the, the yeah the familiar becoming the unfamiliar and that's that's how you plant your seeds of horror I think oh yeah I and I think that that for me as a location of of horror or kind of unquiet that is so much more effective than a murderer breaking it through a window and you know trying to kill you it's it's far more effective um i think also within that the use of the landscape is really effective and the use of folklore around that landscape 
I grew up not far from Buckinghamshire, not far from the Thames Valley. And in fact, my, uh, my uncle and aunt do live in Buckinghamshire. So we used to, when we used to drive to see them, I went through this landscape. And it is a beautiful, very sort of pastoral landscape. But it really isn't something that, you know, the kind of the use of moorland or like mountains and the kind of the sublime in the kind of gothic fiction terms of the sublime is much more what you expect. But kind of quite an ordinary landscape does make yeah. it that little bit weirder. It, 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 it's like I said at the start, it's one of those bits you don't expect, but it's also the fact that Will is, is a, a, a boy in a family. He has two parents, you know, yes. um, this is just his family. He is at home, everything is normal and fine. And I don't know what it is like in publishing these days, but to me, an awful lot of books about children are, they are an adult, they're an orphan or they are adopted or something, there is, you know, single parent families, all of which, perfectly normal, perfectly normal. This is families, but it is rare, I think, to get your protagonist being grown up in a perfectly normal, happy family. Tiffany, maybe. She's the only other one I can think of from Tiffany Aching, but um, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know many others. And I, I'd never really thought about that until I was reading it again and, and thinking, oh, yeah, you know, he's, he's, he's there. He's just, this is his family with a million. And one. The only unusual thing, again, spoilers, is he is the seventh son of a seventh son. But you know those of us who know this kind of lore go oh yes magic but it's just in the book as almost this throwaway nothing yeah. it is not made a big deal out of it's just yeah that's just there he's just he's, he's that's his family but very very yeah sorry you were talking about the landscape and I've gone on to people again no, but no, it's it fine. is very beautifully pe just people in life don't I? I think yeah, I think there's, there's two things within that, because you're right, kind of getting away from the family, getting children away from their family is really the only way that, or one of the only ways that adventure can happen. But I think what Susan Cooper does, which is very clever, is en enabling Will to step out of time. So he yes. has this power that he's part of this group of people who are sort of timeless, who can, um, who can stop time, who can travel back and forwards in time because of this uh, power, the power of the light that they, they can tap into. So that's really helpful. He can have adventures away from his family because of stepping away from time. Well done, time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I think it is. And I think the, um, you know, the way that they they can affect time and how it goes. Because, I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful thing to be able to do. But, of course, it's not just the light that do it. The dark can do it. And the dark do it to Will as well. And you see that, you know, it happens to him a couple of times. And, again, someone who we think is this nice, lovely, rosy-cheeked character, because you're a lovely rosy cheeks dairy maid you're going to be a lovely character and then oh hello no that's not how we thought the story would go so it's oh. yes this is how you make you make the adventures happen yes and that that's quite interesting isn't it because there's sort of the the salt of the earth farmer and the salt of the earth cowman and you know all of those and the cowman's 
son, John the Smith, and, and so on, who, yeah, they're kind of fairy tale archetypes, aren't they? Yes. But also, yes, the dairy maid or the goose maid or uh, the goose girl or the shepherdess or whatever, we would expect them to be good characters. Yeah. Because we're, we're, we read rosy-cheeked, uh, you know, go dairy maids as good, and it turns out she isn't. Yeah. No. But we also yeah, know that she, she has been corrupted, hasn't she, by the dark. As, well, this is the thing, is yeah. it, the dark has this insidious power to go, hey, you know, oh, that wasn't a very nice thing that happened to you, was it? Come over here, look at all the rewards you can have. Which I always think is the thing about the dark in any kind of incarnation, and particularly in this book, as, 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 as we see um, elsewhere, is look at the rewards you can have. It's like a nasty version of Jam Tomorrow, isn't it? It's a, this is the, oh, you know, here, you can come, come and do this. Oh, we just need you to do this. And if you can do this as well, you're never getting any rewards. You're just going to be used, you know, it's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, very, very much so. Um, so we started talking about these kind of archetypal figures. We have some some figures within or characters within the story that have sort of names that are not really, we know some of their names. So we've got the lady, the rider and the walker who are these sort of key players within the story with differing levels of, of um, power and goodness. Um, we do eventually learn some of their names because also the true name is a, a powerful, powerful thing, <laughs> uh, as it is, as we know, if we read uh, The Wizard of Earthsea. Yeah. But, but also you and I do it. If I say Alison Baker to you, I mean, that's it, yes. you know. <laughs> you've, you've, you've full named me, Steph. You've full named me. <laughs> Use my Sunday name. <laughs> that's it that's it names do have power there are no two ways about it <laughs> absolutely yeah so these kind of figures um are are sort of out of I guess not sort of out of folklore maybe or fairy tale because they're the whoever it, it's yeah because you have you have your you have your villain in whatever sense and, you know, your villains are very often, there is dark associated to them in, in colour or dress or something. And what I like about the rider is, is this sort of slight hint of red hair, which seemed to me always an indication of this slight foxiness and vulpine and in the sense of Will's mother keeps chickens and they also have rabbits and they're very aware of foxes. And in the countryside, in this sense, Fox is not to be trusted. So there is this hint I've always felt of that's why he's not to be trusted. You know, this is I'm going back to Jemina Puddleduck practically at this point. Yes. But, you know, um, but he, you know, he's he's dressed in black. Uh, he rides a black horse. I mean, if he thundered across the screen, you'd be there going, oh, yep. Don't trust that one. Thank you very much. You may as well um, wear a black hat. <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, badge. Bad guy. Um, <laughs> and and then the light has the white horse. And white horse forever stick a 
horn on them or not as a unicorn is always a positive good symbol and I so I think you've you've always got those of like you say is it is it folklore or fairy tale and really it points we could be here a long time discussing where those two things meet and diverge but your 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 story arcs and your characters hang on certain certain bits that are there and as a the lady is she's a focus of a benevolent good force isn't she one way or another she she is there in passing of clearly great amount of uh, of power that she can use um and and as an element to be to be cared for and the way that that what happens with her is brought into clearly festive Christmas um, traditions across places, which are probably out, way out with um, Christianity as well, of the piping of the wren and things like this. Um, yeah, I, it's, they are the they are the bits I think stories like this need to have that bit one way or another, and the, the rider, of course, has. Has the great thing of he can come into the house because he's invited. Vampire, yeah. Very important. Also bailiffs, if you think about it. You know. <laughs> just saying. It takes away a bit of the glamour of your vampires if you think of them like bailiffs. But he, you know, he can only come in because he's invited. He then gets power because he gets a strand of one of Will's sister's hairs. These are very, as much as the characters, these are these very, very strong folklore magic traditions these old traditions of old magic where it is drawn from um yeah yeah and i think um it suddenly occurred to me sort of thinking about the the um the wren the hunting of the wren it's sort of also like mama's plays and mystery plays yeah the way that you did have archetypes like the the green man, um, the maiden, and the devil, and so on, and those those sorts of archetypal figures, because of the way they're dressed, people know who they are. They know what to expect about them. It's almost like you're expecting Saint George and the Dragon to turn up as well. And, yes. Yeah, and and enact those sorts of plays because there's the wassailing scene isn't there where they go to Huntercombe place the big house and, and yeah because they go they go around the village and I love yeah. I, I I love the it sounds terrible to say it's quaint but between that is you can very much tell in some ways this is written when it is written um the Christmas tree is just brought in on Christmas Eve as part of the traditions near the start they make their paper chains for decorations I mean, Will's 11, he has this huge family, all older than him, and bar the one who is away in the Navy, they're all there and taking part of this. And then they go carol singing yes. around the village on Christmas Eve. It is, it is beautiful. It is, absolutely is a glorious thing. And we are also like, wow, yeah. They did things a little bit different these days. But the, the way in which they go around, and of course they always finish at the manor, which becomes critical to the story in other ways and the traditions that they have evolved within doing that the school teacher always gives them a sixpence um mrs Gr miss miss 
Miss Greythorn, we must get that right, um, who this is the only the only time that they drink alcohol are when they have a toast with Miss Greythorn and they have a little bit of wine on Christmas Day. But these are their Christmas traditions of which are just as important in different ways and just as binding as the rider not being able to come in until he's invited and all other forms of magic. Because face it, this is what traditions are. We they, they we give them this power because they somehow important to us. And yeah, they they mark the ris- they mark certain types of rhythms and certain types of rituals, which are very important. Yeah. Well, that was. That's uh, it is a fabulous book. It is one I read every Christmas. I absolutely love it. Um, and I thoroughly recommend that no one who loves this book ever goes anywhere near the absolutely terrible film. Do not do I, it. I have watched it so you don't have to. I sadly, Ali, I have watched it. And the best thing I can say, and you would appreciate how much this mattered, I went to see it with Dave, obviously, quite some time about. We sat there, slightly horrified, came out and went immediately to the pub. And I think we just agreed we could never speak of it again. So then let us not. But, you know, this book, I will say one other thing, because this part of my notes on it, (laughs) is it gives you an awful lot of education without meaning to, this book, because it has words in it like dominion and lugubriously, which I just like, you know, and I've realised in terms of how I write and some things and things I've written for children, I do throw in. Big, bigger words than you might expect. And my one last thing, because again, I only realised this when I was rereading it, is it is not every children's book that suddenly goes, oh, this is in a remote manor house in Buckinghamshire, yada, yada, yada. Uh, a lady, uh, lady named Miss Graythorn is holding a party for in a place known for its possession of the world's most valuable small collection of books on necromancy. Yes. And, you know, it goes on to reference Malleus Maleficarum and these other books. So just think, yeah, you don't get many necromancy references in many children's books. Not really, no. Not why I would say people should read it, but add it to the list. Oh, most definitely. And I, I, think it is, I think the use of the language is so beautiful that actually coming across unfamiliar words, and now, thank goodness, we have the internet to look words up, <laughs> Um, which I didn't have uh, as as a child in the 70s. But we could, uh, you know, I certainly learned a lot of words through reading and working out the meaning of the words in the context of the sentence. So I would not have known what lugubriously meant, but I think I would have worked out it was similar to being a bit grumpy. And I, I knew that necromancy was something to do with magic. So, yeah. you know, you were, this is, but how glorious to just, I mean, dominion is a bit of a whole, Ooh, okay. So, so yes, but I think I do have to say, because I haven't said it, okay. I'm going to quote it and you can, you know, drop it in wherever it may need or literally here, but the, the fact it has the most quotable line, and I know this gets used a lot, but it comes in from the start and how it describes what's going to come is this night will be bad and tomorrow will be beyond imagining yes yes and that, that beyond imagining it's just chills you to the marrow doesn't it it's oh it's incredible yes. beautiful right. right but there we go <laughs> i will uh i will let's move on to talking about breadcrumbs by Anne absolutely which um, is a relatively new book i'm just going to look up and see when it was i bet it's published long before i 
thought it was. Uh, well, 2011. Now, I could have sworn this was within, you know, less than 10 years, but there we go. 2011 it, was practically yesterday, definitely. Almost <laughs> definitely, yes. So this, this book is, um, the blurb says, once upon a time, Hazel and Jack were best friends. They had been best friends since they were six, spending hot Minneapolis summers and cold Minneapolis winters together, dreaming of Hogwarts and Oz, superheroes and baseball. Now that they are 11, it was weird for a boy and a girl to be best friends, but they couldn't help it. Hazel and Jack fit in the way that you only read about in books, and they didn't fit anywhere else. And then one day, Jack just stopped talking to Hazel. And while her mum tries to tell her that this sometimes happens to friends at this age, Hazel has read enough stories to know that it's never that simple. And it turns out she was right. Jack's heart had been frozen and he was taken into the woods by a woman dressed in white to live in a palace made of ice. Now it's up to Hazel to venture into the woods after him. Oh, yes. Yeah. Ugh, chills, chills. It, it's it is it's those shivers again of just like oh yes you know and you know you know exactly what you've got going on but oh yeah, yeah. It's, it's a it's a fabulous story it really really is um I realized I had read it years ago um and then was like I sort of know but I, I could not remember it. So reading it again was practically like reading it for the first time and then not knowing fully how, you know, quite how it ended or quite how these bits worked out. And just, yeah, it, 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 it does take you on quite the emotional story and you, you, feel, you feel Hazel so strongly in her she is like this and the world is saying oh but could you just be could you just can you be 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 like this it's just like why doesn't anyone listen and want me to be me and then her best friend goes missing and then you just everything just go well best friend's gone I've got to go and get him back right. <laughs> you know and it almost the most beautifully matter-of-fact decision like right, that's what I'm gonna do yes it is I think I'd forgotten before I read this again that Hazel is not only adopted, but she's adopted from India. So she's in yes. Minneapolis really as a minority of one. Um, it, it's, and that is devastating because she does at one point meet a girl who's been adopted from China and say, and sort of thinks, oh, new best friend. Yeah, we, we're alike, we're alike, but this girl, the, the other girl is the perfect child and uh, isn't slightly odd and does wear the right clothes and does have two parents. And it is such a, such a weird, she's in such a weird situation because her parents are separated. Her dad's getting remarried. Um, because of that, her mom uh, is now a single income family. And so Hazel has to leave her independent school where people have appreciated her for her imagination and her individuality and got into 
a, a, a school where she's kind of expected to be a sausage in a sausage factory. And yeah, and it's and then the worst thing that could possibly happen is is she loses her best friend. And but then like with the dark is rising, the slow introduction. So from the start, you know there's something here. Like, you know, we know something is different about Hazel and we don't we don't know what it is, but we know there's there's, you know, sort of that square peg round hole feeling. And then we know that her mum doesn't like well, doesn't like Jack but doesn't kind of encourage the friendship with Jack and there is this sort of this element of go well he's a boy but it's also it's more than he's a boy there, there is more and there is this feel as you start to discover about what Hazel's situation but also Jack's family it is very much more than I don't want I want you to be friends with other girls I don't want you to be friends it's almost I don't want you to be friends with that boy with that family I mean I hope they're all okay but I, let, let's go and be friends with nice people over here. Yes, there, there is definitely a, a class issue going on there, isn't it? That, yes. that he, uh, she wants Hazel to be friends with kids that go to independent schools and not with this boy from this slightly um, lower class family with the mum who's clearly um, got issues. Yes. And, yeah. Yeah, that that's but the outsiderness is what brings them together, isn't it? So it's completely, you know, this is such a a connection. May, may, you know, maybe we all have friendships that are built built on these things. But when she does have this, leaps around the story, but but when she does go to the the friend's house and you know she's talking with Adelaide and there is Adelaide's uncle, all of a sudden here is somebody who makes a living out of these stories who's actually. Of course, we're fine with the idea that, you know, there's the White Witch and you have this story and these, you know, these things happen. And here is the nice, lovely family that on paper, according to the mother, that she's going, oh, oh, right. You other people do get this as well, which it almost undermines the mum in a, you know, in a nice kind of way. Who, let's face it, is a single income mum trying to do her blooming best. You know, she is a character to be very, very much empathised with as well. Um but, but yeah, uh, it's great that, that Hazel can suddenly discover more family. Yeah, and can see that her daughter's clearly unhappy. I mean, if, if you yeah. were in that position, it would be, you would be trying to say, I'm really sorry, sweetheart, these things just happen. People grow out of friendships. You know, the, the first yeah. thing that you think about as an adult would not be, I expect your best friend is under the enchantment of a wicked uh, queen because um a sliver of glass has entered his heart that's the obvious it's, it's, i mean you know through the eye which is always the classic you know because some troll got up to some mischief i mean it's not top of the list and it is very much as her mother is there sort of you know oh, you know hazel's late or she's got to give her a lift and do all these things and of course she she's there feeling for a daughter and even more so after jack is I mean, she comes home and she says, Jack was mean to me and Jack's been mean to her. And it's heartbreaking, but also from this very practical parenthood level, I have to get to work, you have to go to school, you have to learn things, I have to earn money, we have to eat. And it is, I think, for, you know, for any parent, that is your ongoing balance at all times, you know. Um, But, but yeah, I mean, clearly, obviously, poor Jack, who doesn't really know what's happened, but he's there creating these fantastic worlds with with Hazel and being actually this very 
you know, best friends with a couple of guys. Hazel came to their school, discovered he could be great friends with Hazel and being a boy solid enough to go. Yes, again, God, they are, are they 13? I think they're a little older than than the Will type characters and everything. I'm not... Right. Five, which makes them eleven between eleven and twelve. Oh, I think. right. So we're still around the same age. And yeah. going, no, I'm, 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 she's now my best friend, which the boys obviously don't like. But he's just like, yeah, this is what we do. And you know, he's he's quite brilliant and creates these fantastic worlds with her and in of his own head. And um, but he's also has this unhappiness of his own life. Is you know, his, his things are not okay at home and his dad is is trying but all of a sudden he seems to eat fruit bars much more than probably ever existed in his diet before yes. and and has his own particular sadness and then yeah this happens and it's quite heartbreaking that it 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 is hazel throws a snowball at him of sheer life frustration and he, he falls and then that's it yeah this yeah. yeah, and again, it's all familiar becoming unfamiliar. Here's this great and lovely person with this great friendship and all of a sudden not playing with you, not talking to you, hanging out with the boys and they're just, you are cut out. Friendship's I, ending. Friendship's ending is heartbreaking, I think. Yeah. And, you know, from position of being, being 45, that's still some of the greatest heartbreaks in my life as opposed to, you know, boys. It, and it is such pain, like, I yeah. think, like no other. yeah. And I think in particular for, for Hazel that, that the rejection is that he goes, Jack goes and uh, becomes best friends and only plays with the boy who is calling her crazy. And that is, yes. that's really hard. I mean, the, the other boy, Tyler, does also realise that there's something wrong with Jack and it's not, you know, there's one point where, her mother says he's gone to live with his great aunt Bernice uh, and taking care of her. <laughs> you know, hey, Hazel's like, well, that's wrong. But Tyler also thinks that that's wrong and has seen what has happened. Yes. Let's talk a little bit about the way that um, Hazel is a reader and how important that is within her ability to understand what has happened to Jack? I love this so much it, it, because it is, it is a modern day fairy story. And in that sense, therefore, it talks about, you know, mentioned in the blurb, it talks about Hogwarts. It's got references to Hans Christian Andersen. We know about, you know, the White Witch. I mean, the White Witch herself comes out with quite the line when she mentions Turkish delight. Oh, yes. that is perfect. <laughs> there is a there is a a thing uh, and I say a thing because I believe it has a term but I don't know what the term is that even if you had never read Frankenstein you would not in this day and age be able to write a book like that without referencing it because it is so steeped in popular knowledge and culture and this is what comes into this is yeah she knows how these things go um you know there are there are stories, there are facts, there are things that are to be trusted, like we were talking about with our uh, rosy cheeks dairy maid, etc. Of you know, wolves are bad, the woodsman is good, possibly question mark, which is clearly bad, etc. These are the these <laughs> these are the things, and I think she uses that 
so much, but I love how it is all there and referenced in the story. It's, it's, I was thinking about this yesterday and it's, it's, it's the opposite to how nobody on EastEnders watches Coronation Street and vice versa. It yes. is just the, here is a fairy story with fairy stories in it because she reads, she reads all the time. She, and she creates all the time. She has this imagination, which of course she has with Jack. So it is all completely, completely lost, but that is her, her armour, if you like, of knowing, okay, all right, I've got to go. I've, he's gone. Apparently now Tyler says he's been taken by a witch into the forest. I've, I've got to go and get him and just get ready and and, and let's go. And, yeah, it, it is just that, oh, there's a wolf, right? Okay, let's be very, very careful around that and starting to realise that the wolves are not the ones you need to be looking out for, really, in that wood. Yes, absolutely. The wolves are not the most dangerous creatures by far. There, there were... Oh, that'd be the humans. That would always be the humans. <laughs> it will always be the humans, yeah. I, there were bits that I found delightful in that the little match girl is referenced and the red shoes. Um, <sighs> both of those Hans Christian Andersen stories, which are, you know, they're literary fairy tales, aren't they? They're not traditional folklore. But they're used so beautifully within the story. And I think that children could read this book. They will probably know the story of the Snow Queen because that is, like you say, that is so in our cultural, um, within our cultural sort of DNA now. It's, it's become a trope that is used everywhere. But I don't, I think you could read this story, not knowing the story of the little match girl and not knowing the story of the red shoes and still get what's going on. One of the things that puzzled me was about the story about the witch with the swan uh, who skinned the swan and uses the swan's um, feathers and, and skin. And I kind of thought to myself, that's like a selkie, isn't it? And about, you know, the kind of um, the wives that are captured by men and the man can only keep hold of the wife because he's got her true skin. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's normally within that, that it's the, the man that's stolen the skin that's the baddie. But in this, it's, it's actually the witch. And I, I really couldn't get my head around that. And I, I, I did a little I, cursory Googling. And still oh, yes. <laughs> actual research. And I still couldn't really understand that. And I, it's a thing that's sort of a little puzzling, um, really. I, 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 th I think what I took from it, and again, it is just the... Uh, the it is again. People are your your, your good guys and your bad your bad guys. To sort of break it down so much is 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 Hazel obviously finds this and wraps herself up in it, thinking it'd be warm, and then thinking, oh, maybe she could be beautiful, but she's basically wearing a dead skin and she's got this swan's head and neck just flapping off her. And how on earth could she think that this could make her make her beautiful or graceful or be able to 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 fly? But clearly that is why the witch wanted it. The witch wanted it to be beautiful, to be beautiful like a swan. But the beauty of a swan and it being a swan, you can't, 
you can't take something that isn't you and just put it on you and automatically assume that beauty. I say, I think it's, it's, it, it, it's, it's, it's an interesting bit of the story because at no point of Hazel's not, I don't know, maybe it is, as we talk about how Hazel doesn't fit in and it's like, if you just wear these clothes or you just have these shoes or you do these things, maybe it is that of Hazel will still be Hazel no matter what skin she puts on or what clothes she puts on. Maybe it is a, a reference around that because you don't become, I mean, you know, I like a bit of mascara and Charlotte Tilbury and other makeup brands are available, but I am ultimately going to look like me no matter what. And that's very lovely to play with, but the beauty doesn't come from the things that you've put on you. That's absolutely brilliant because actually it was also, I think, a ballet reference, isn't it? Because she wants, yes. she wants to do ballet like Adelaide because ballet will make her graceful. Um, and then that that also refer- that also comes back to the red shoes, doesn't it? Shoes. The ballet of the red which, shoes. Yes. Which is is obviously the wolves do get involved a bit at the point of the shoes, but it's also she goes, she sees, she thinks, but she's also, I've got to go and rescue my friend. The shoes will be there another time. Yes. And it's like actually the most important thing to her. And why she's this, 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 just this darling character you want to hug is there's all these other things around. And she said, yeah, but I've got to rescue my friend. Yeah. And there is a brilliant scene when, you know, t- again, spoilers, and maybe you've not had since 1973, but whatever, people. <laughs> um, when, you know, she's fronting up to the witch who is sort of something like, you know, he will, he, he will grow up. Um, uh, you know, you, you will, you know, you'll move on, and he'll, he'll maybe sometimes think of you. And this bit inside Hazel still goes, but he will sometimes think about me. And it is not even to rescue Jack to have him as a friend. It is to rescue Jack so Jack can be Jack. And you're just—that is the point where you're like, "You go, girl. You're fantastic." You know, and I, little bits of me were cheering her on when I was reading that. Yes, and that that's the quite also that's quite interesting in that both Hazel's mum and the witch sort of are in the right because the couple that try to steal Hazel and keep her as a daughter want to keep her as as who she is and they do want to change her but to change her to keep her safe whereas the witch and Hazel's mother are both saying, you will have to change. Things will have to change. But from different, Hazel's mother is saying that to, to sort of protect her and also to try and guide her into growing up. Whereas the witch wants to keep Jack for herself. She has no, there's no kind of motherly or maternal or not even maternal, but there's no kind of benignness in her wanting to keep Jack. It's so both the the parents the, or the adults who tried to kidnap Hazel and the witch are wanting to keep her, their child for themselves as a possession, rather yes. than as I am guiding you to become an adult. I'm guiding you through life, and that's that's actually the true horror. I think is see it's like yeah. Terry Pratchett, isn't it? 
seeing people's things things that don't really people as things is is where it all goes wrong but there's nothing more chilling i think than wanting to keep children safe in this context just want to keep you safe safe is a box or those you know not a box in this in this instance but it is just we hear nothing bad will happen to you that's life bad stuff happens and her mum for all you know she isn't saying what Hazel wants because there is nothing, there is no way she could just saying sometimes these things happen is actually the truth of it. Although obviously, as we know, it wasn't by choice, poor Jack, bad stuff does happen. And sometimes just go really sorry, bad stuff happens. Give you a hug and we've just got to get on with it. And that that is guiding people through life, not just going, we'll keep you here and own you. Nothing bad will happen to you because nothing will happen to you, which is the worst thing. That is absolutely the worst thing. That is actual horror. Yes, and uh, we can't protect children from everything. So what the best thing we can do is to prepare them uh, for being able to cope when bad things do happen. And that's where these books have prepared Hazel for, for dealing with things. Sometimes we have to go and be our own hero. Yes, which she is. She's an absolutely fantastic one of, of, of going and doing and, and thinking. You know, she's there and thinking these things through. And it's like when she rejects the, um, the, the swan sins, we're just going, well, no, this is not, this, this isn't right. Um, and, and it's a, such a beautiful bit with a little match girl when she goes, here is somebody who does need help. I can keep you a bit warmer. I can do this. And I, you know, I will make sure that somebody, one of the people we know we can trust in this story, will look after you, genuinely look after you. And I've just got to keep going north now. And she just gets colder and colder and you feel it in your bones because she's given her coat away and this snow is, yeah. Um, and then the most marvellous bit of the palace being what Jack had drawn previously just this few lines on a white page and just the tiniest tiniest bits um and feminine I like this description it's kind of been so feminine with its minarets but you can just think of that curve of the tower and barely a nothing but it's there on the landscape and yeah and yes. Jack and Jack takes on the role of the princess yes. to be saved and Hazel is actually the prince coming to do the saving so that kind of interruption of fairy tales works really it's, well, I think. Absolutely. And and poor Jack is there going, if he can just do something and he doesn't know what it is, then maybe, you know, maybe the witch will like him or she maybe she'll be pleased and he hopes to get it right because he doesn't want to disappoint her or he doesn't want to bore her. And yes. oh, this this longing to not bore this beautiful woman is is, is quite fantastic. But he's it's something inside him. He's, he sort of comes up and he, he suppresses it back down. It's like, no, go away. I can't, I can't be with this. I've, I've got to sort out this, this puzzle. And then maybe this time she'll like me, which is, yeah. you know, yeah. abusive relationship 101 type situation. Oh, God, it, yes. really, it really is. So much. The final thing I wanted to, to sort of talk about was the book as the object, because, um, Obviously, with these books being published a long way apart, and one of the things that I 
think is a really lovely trend in children's publishing at the moment is the kind of the decorated object of the book as much as um and that i think is where children's publishing of the 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 book as the object is working to um as children very often prefer a physical object to an ebook and so therefore we've got to make the book beautiful so this is a book for 11 to well sort of 8 to 12 year olds is what it says inside my book but it's got drawings by Erin Maguire that are absolutely gorgeous and they're, they're not just the chapter headers which we do quite often see the the sort of the snowdrop snowdrops snowflakes <laughs> which are an important trope within this book but actually the kind of the double page spreads and the whole page illustrations I will take some photos and put them in the um, I'll put them on Instagram so they can be shared within the show notes but what do you think do you think this adds to the book as object I I love them I really love them and they are they are quite simple in 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 terms of the detail but quite perfect in everything that they that, that they bring through the you know the sort of the stark stark black and white elements of them but they just go there yeah, that is that is the story and I I'm one of those people who I do I do picture things I know not everyone does but I do get a vague idea of I know how this character looks or I know what this house looks like they are they are there which is you know always interesting when things are made into films or tv at times and sometimes you have happy days and sometimes they're going well, that's interesting. Um, but these are very, they do sit so very beautifully with with so, with the story. And if you're someone who doesn't, as again, no people aren't, who they just go, oh, that, yeah, I can really, I can see that now more because of that. And I do think with this one, and particularly in a still, let's face it, very white culture, um, that you see her colour you see that she is not a white girl um and long you know soon please maybe the day where that becomes something we don't talk about because that's perfectly normal because it is perfectly normal but let's face it it is not normal still in our literary or movie um culture and I think that is lovely and it is beautifully there but yeah the yeah because I think there is one where she's she's actually in the it's the one where she's in this I keep wanting to say seal skin now you've got me on selkies the swan skin um but one where she looks at this bird in a cage and you just yes I I I think they are beautiful I really do and you don't need many of them but you just need they I think they add truly to to the story and yeah yeah I mean it's it's a yes that 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 one with the bird is yes. yes She looks so sad and she's looking at the bird in the cage. Yeah, I, I will take a photo of that. One of the things I did appreciate, actually, is that the, the reason that Hazel is, is bullied and teased at school by Bobby and Bobby's friends, the, the mean boy, uh, it's not racist. And I liked that. Yes, it, 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 it is. That could have been. Yeah, and that would have put 
a very different slant on her uh, her outsider nature and her outsider nature is actually that she is imaginative and different and while her her um, the fact that she's an, uh, born in India and looks very different from the other children does make her stand out and she feels that within herself but that's not the locus of her weirdness so just no they, they're just you know the boys she 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 took jack away so she took their friend away so they don't like her for that and you know she's imaginative and the teacher uh, draws her out because she doesn't appear to be paying attention because you know she's off somewhere else and that is what the kids go on it is absolutely nothing in in, in anything else um it, it is her her otherness of of, of imagination which, yeah. you know, you and, and I, and I think probably quite a few people listening to go, yeah, yeah, we recognise that one. <laughs> yeah, but, I, the, you know, we talked before about the uncanny and the kind of increment of small details. One of the things I pick, really picked up on with reading this was that when she's in the classroom, her desk is minutely out of place. It's yeah. not in the perfect line with all the other children's and I thought that was so perfect that is it is yeah it's such a small detail but a smack you in the face of going there you go there's your show don't tell isn't it (laughs) you're absolute that's where where Hazel is her desk is slightly out of line with everybody else you 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 can picture that American classroom because we've all seen them in a million and one different things and just that slightly out of line and yeah there you go you don't fit in if you just got a classroom that was completely empty you saw one desk that was slightly out of place before anything else happened you would know the person who sits there doesn't fit in that's who this yeah. thing is going to be about, whatever it is. Yeah. Yes. It's, I, oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I must say, I'm very, I think this book is what is available. You can certainly order it. So I think this book is available in, um, in the UK. I do urge people to buy it and read it. I think it's wonderful. But I'm sad that Anne Ursu is not better known here because I think she's a fabulous writer. Um, And I do have, I am aiming to read more of her work, um, even if it does mean that I I have to, and I think I probably will have to order it from the the US, which is a a real shame. Mm. I I am, am perhaps we'll have to coordinate over our our ordering of, but having read it again, I'm very much... I, you know, I, I would like to, and I will say, and I won't say anything more about it because let's not completely spoil the ending, but I, we will talk about it afterwards. Maybe we'll come back on a different time after people have listened and we can talk about it more. Yes, that'd but be lovely. I love how the book ends. It has a yeah. very, it's a very, very good and strong ending in lots of me's for way. Lots of mm-hmm. me's for way, lots of ways for me. Can't yeah. speak. <laughs> um, in it, <laughs> you all knew what I meant, but I think it has, it has a very true to the whole story. Ending. I agree. It's um, a pragmatic yeah. ending rather than an um, everything's okay now ending. Yeah, I think that works. It's really not. Well. It's not. It's not. Uh, let's all go home for tea and cake. But it is. It is beautiful for all that. But no, I am the same. I'm going to have to 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 read more of her things. And um, a few of my friends with children, I'm going to have to be going. Yes, but you know, listen one listen to this podcast, but two also, um, I recommend this book. 
Thank you so much for your time, Steph. Where can people find you online? Oh, well, I am on both uh, Instagram and on Twitter. I am Princess of VP, which stands for Victoria Park, which is a beautiful park in East London. When, you know, when restrictions allow, do come and visit Park, at least. Not me. That would be weird. <laughs> um, I can be seen talking generally, you know, books, feminism, cheese, this sort of thing. Um, and uh, yeah, do come find me and say hello. That's wonderful. Thank you so much. Oh, um, thank you for having me. This has been this has been an absolute pleasure. You know, it's just like you and me just chatting about books. <laughs> That's lovely. Pretty yeah. much. Less, less wine than is normal, but then it's having less lunch. Wine. But yes. then it is in the middle of the day. And even if it is Christmas, <laughs> it's still <laughs> the middle of the day. And I, I'm 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 apparently working. So thank you for listening to episode 13 of Fantasy Book Swap. You can find us on Twitter at Fantasy Swap, Facebook at Fantasy Book Swap, or by email, fantasybookswap at gmail.com. You can subscribe at most of your favourite podcast places or download from Podbean. Thanks to Steve Vapertrails for production assistance and to Jack Sadler-Johnson for the use of his beautiful track, Bliss. Until next time, bye!